Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. Uh, joined again this week by Liam, Abri- Liam Hortings. Great, Mark. Two cracking games last weekend in the URC semi-finals. Really livened up the whole competition up. Plenty of drama, that's for sure, uh, both in Dublin and in Cape Town. I suppose Liam will review those two URC playoff semi-final results. It's an all-South African final as the, the Bulls and the Stormers uh, break Irish provincial hearts with two very closely fought wins. We'll also look at the summer series in New Zealand. New Zealand and Ireland have unveiled their squads that they hope will secure a Test Match Series win. Also, we'll look at the, the Irish provinces release list. Some notable names there that have been released, maybe kind of run the rule over some of them. Liam will maybe start off first with the RDS uh, on last Friday night between the Leinster and the Bulls. I know we'd kind of given the Bulls a slight chance. Had highlighted Leinster fans who had been listening to this podcast that this would be probably their toughest URC fixture to date. And uh, I suppose Liam were kind of proved right here uh, with a thrilling 27-26 win for the Bulls. Uh, what were your reaction to the match and the performance? Absolute like awesome performance in the Bulls and 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 Jake White absolute genius you know because you know even interviewed afterwards he did actually admit that the La Rochelle that they had workings to go on they had a kind of a, at least a blueprint on on how to do it and unashamedly throughout the game they slowed the ball down at times like legally and then illegally quite frankly like by with their, with their injury times you know. But like, you know, you do, you do those things. But I suppose, look, when, when it started off not having Sexton starting, like you're already, you're already down the likes of uh, the tread of low. But to not have Sexton starting is uh, smacks of kind of complacency from the Leinster management. And it's almost like not a good, good start anyway. It, it's funny, Leinster started the game quite well, actually, in the first 10 minutes, you know. Exactly, yeah. they, they sprung the baller out uh, and they kind of played the game that they should be playing. Um, and lovely kick through um, and and O'Loughlin. yeah. So like good, good, a very good start. And I suppose the the, the key thing was I suppose that that they they hit back um, to lead with uh, Grobber try, and then we cut see a try and just you know they never led really after that you know um, Leinster and they were always playing catch up and that's the funny thing about it they haven't had to play catch up this season. Yeah, I was very impressed with the Bulls, actually. We had remarked this week, Liam, regarding that Leinster-Glasgow game, and it was a terrible preparation for this playoff semi-final for Leinster, purely because of the performance that Glasgow Warriors had provided the week before. Really hadn't asked too many questions of Leinster in terms of collisions, physicality. And to be perfectly fair, it was a great start. It was a very bright start from Leinster. Uh, Really kind of, uh, they set the tone early. It was a great drive from Dan Sheehan but as you said were they caught in two stools here I mean once that early try went in from Dan Sheehan was there maybe an air of hate to say this complacency in terms of the thought that they may be able to roll over the Bulls a little bit like Glasgow because certainly they then went a little bit off type off script a bit in terms of their attacking play they went very direct went very physical and my god when you have Kutsia Grobelar guys like that I mean it's only going to be one winner in those kind of exchanges. And they really gave the Bulls a real kind of foothold in the game after about 18, 19 minutes. And the Bulls didn't have to be asked twice to really um, take advantage. Yeah, exactly. And and basically they allowed the, the Bulls to play their their game, you know. 
just the, the, the they brought a physicality that I I'd actually yes I'd have to say this it was even more so than La Rochelle. I mean when when we when you actually compare the two games, uh, they were vastly more dominant than than La Rochelle, who were like just at the, kind of at the very end end of the, of that European Cup game. But like they, they were dominant for you could honestly say for for sixty minutes to that game you know the last sixty minutes they completely dominance they were attacking and it's kind of refreshing to see any team doing this like they were actually attacking the Leinster line out you know they were prepared to go up get steals and have Leinster lose their own line out and that kind of also leads to kind of disintegration of your your game plan as well. They were definitely on top in in the in scrum. They had a really effective line out mall. Just everything was going right for them. I, I certainly agree with that, Liam. I, I think they realised that the Italian official it was a big game for that Italian official, and he looked nervy. He looked nervy from minute one, and I think for the Bulls, they didn't have to be asked twice in terms of really testing the referee out. In terms of the line out, you could maybe argue there was maybe a few line out infringements there that weren't called by the Italian referee. But then counteract that by saying that I thought Bulls scrummaging was very much on point. They really did try to isolate Porter a little bit on that loose head side. And to be fair to Porter, try as he might, I think he was rattled from early doors. There was a few kind of reactions from Porter from a few Bulls players' viewpoints that really did show that the performance Porter was very uncomfortable. I mean, Furlong, you can say that Furlong was 100% fit on the, on the night again. I think that ankle is seriously imp- impeding him in terms of that performance. And then Dan Sheehan as well, as you said, Liam had a tough night, particularly on the line out, the set piece execution, because the Bulls really brought it. You know, they created the pressure, they pr- created the pressure points. And Leinster, as you say, line out wise, didn't go really well for them in terms of 78% success rate on um, the, the line out. And that was throughout the game, Liam, to be fair. I just thought the Bulls, I thought front five-wise, really did step it up massively after that opening exchange from Leinster. And to be perfectly honest, uh, as you say, Bulls, I thought Smith was very good at 10. Number nine, the scrum half for Bulls, really. The exit strategy was very much on point. You know, good cover chases again. It was a real all-round team performance here, uh, Liam. And then you think of Arenze coming in as well for Creel. Every, everyone to a man literally delivered a performance for the Bulls. And to be honest, Leinster, you couldn't really say the same. Yeah, I, you, you'd struggle to find someone who actually played kind of half decent. And I suppose in terms of maybe an open play, Sheehan at least offered something going forward. You know, maybe Hinshaw as well. But yeah, after that, like you kind of struggled to think of anyone else who played well. Yeah, I, I mean, really, you know, and it's sort of hanging on at times, really, you know. And... As the game went on, the Bulls just looked very, very comfortable. Like you could almost see that Leinster were going to find it very tough to to create try scoring opportunities. Now, I know that there was a nice try at nearly almost at the very end that would be finished off there in the, in the corner by O'Loughlin. But like really, that I think the key was like in the Rochelle game that just didn't happen for most of the game. Any time in terms of momentum, Leinster would you know, get a, a scrum penalty against them or they'd lose a line out. And it just, you, you can't function well like that way. And I, th- I think, again, it, it does boil down to pressure or the lack of pressure 
that's been on Leinster all season. They've cakewalked their way through basically the entire league using 60-odd players. I suppose what it means is too that, you know, some of the, the younger players in particular have never experienced the sort of atmosphere and and the the, the, the cup winning games mentality that they experienced in that semi-final. Yeah, and also um, the coaches, yeah, uh, basically seemed to be absolutely stumped for Leinster. And I mean, they have pretty much the same squad next season, so they're going to have to figure out something as well. Yeah, it certainly has got to be a bit of a conundrum, particularly for Leo Cullen, Stuart Lancaster, Felipe Contatomi, heads back to Argentina to assist on the national team front. I think here, Liam, again, you can see why Jason Jenkins has been brought to Leinster Rugby next season. Just for that pure grunt, pure physicality, particularly in these playoff games, I think it's really shown Leinster a big, massive lesson in terms of front five physicality. It still means an awful lot in terms of winning your collisions. And I thought maybe front five-wise, they were exposed a bit again, even more so by the Bulls rather than La Rochelle. Now you can say long season, player management, and maybe the Bulls coming into form at the right time because we recall Bulls did come up to the RDS with a very skeleton squad and got thumped. But since Christmas, they've been building, they've been building. We've seen the performances in March, particularly when Munster went to the Transvaal. Loftus Versfeld, you could see the potential in the nucleus of the squad really emerging there. But I think, Liam, from that perspective, going to the penalty try really did show the Bulls' front five were in complete dominance in that third quarter. Again, James Ryan was pinged for deliberately collapsing the mall. Penalty try. But I think it does... I think for the rest of the URC, it's going to be bad news because Leinster are going to refocus and regroup I wouldn't be all surprised uh, here, Liam, if there's other, maybe another second row signing coming in to the club along with Jason Jenkins, really to kind of boost um, that physicality. I was thinking of likes of Scott Verdi here a little bit in terms of that kind of physical aggressiveness required to get you over the line. I just didn't see that from the second row. And it's very hard to say that on Joe McCarthy, who's just a, a rookie. But again, on a playoff climate like this, what must Ross Maloney be thinking this week? Again, a stalwart of the second row, and then for the business end of the season to be completely ditched. I would say the same for Ryan Baird. I think there's an awful lot of squad morale issues here coming here. Max Deegan as well. There's so much talent in this Leinster squad that was not used during the off-season. So I think Leo Cullen has a bit of a personnel issue here to get people to get back on the same page. Because I think this is more of a dis- disastrous result for Leinster, more so than La Rochelle, given that it was at home. And again, the prize on offer was a home final against potentially the winners of the Storms and Ulster. I think it's just been a devastating end to the season for Leinster. And it will take a very good coach management team psychology lesson to get this side back on track again. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, actually, another thing apart from like this disastrous non-selection of, of, of uh, Sexton, is the Bulls on 56 minutes, they changed their their, their front row, basically. Mm-hmm. And Le- Leinster, just in terms of the, their overall replacements, and nothing until until the very last few minutes of the game, you know? So, um, and you had, you know, you, I think you Sean Schoen on the bench for Leinster, at least he's an option for coming on if your line out's malfunctioning and you, and, and you want to try and uh, maybe try a new hooker, you know? That wasn't kind of 
picked up on. And some of the young Tyros got like five minutes at the end of the game, like, you know. Um, you can't really affect it when you're under the cosh five minutes to go, you know. So that that also was kind of um, stood out for me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I suppose, look, the Bulls also had a huge momentum, like all the South African teams, when you have your last five games at home as well, you know. So um, it kind of, I suppose, just worked out for them as well. I'm very impressed uh, with the way that they, 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 they have a really good, like, a, a, a forward pack that can dominate pretty much any team in, in that competition. And And I was even thinking, laterally, in Europe, they will be up there thereabouts as well. Oh, I think so too. I think massively competitive next season, Liam. Just the brand of rugby that they will be playing when they come up to Europe, particularly in these first four rounds of the, the pool stages. They have a nice brand of rugby that they can go wide if need be here, Liam. But the fact of the matter is, they have a very much a Saracens intensive pack performance in them as well, where they can notch up to 3, 6, 9, 12, and all of a sudden, as an opponent, you're literally on the back foot and then going to create unforced errors, which Leinster certainly did. I think you could see the sense of panic a little bit. There were some unforced errors there, particularly. I think uh, the, the unforced error count, I think, was, I think, 16, 17 unforced errors from Leinster versus eight or nine from the Bulls, which literally indicate an awful lot in terms of the intensity of the Bulls, their line speed, the way they hit. I think the collisions, boys, again, I think the Bulls were better. And really, it wasn't until maybe Johnny Sexton did come on for Ross Byrne, who was probably ineffective on the day, let's be fair about it, um, to really kind of get things motoring in some certain way. And, you know, the two tries, as you say, O'Loughlin, and then there was the late try uh, for Keane Healy. To be fair to Leinster, they had an awful lot of moments here. I mean, the back three for Leinster ran for 225 metres. But again... Where did those 225 metres come from? It came from very deep in Leinster's half. I mean, Bulls' first-time tackling was absolutely on point. But when it got to the, the 22 of the Bulls, they were absolutely immaculate here, Lim, in terms of not giving away penalties. Really, they're a tackling. And then Kutsia with 25 tackles. Lowe with 14 tackles. Grobler, 16 tackles. Nortse, 18 tackles. I mean, it really does show to you here, Lim, there was one team dominating here on the collisions. And it was the Bulls. And I think they're fully deserving winners. And, uh, you know, again, possession count as well. They were very kind of 52% possession overall versus Leinster's 48%. So, and I think we have to look at Grobler's performance here, Liam. It really did. Probably for Dan Sheen, he's had a good season. That's, yeah. Let's be quite fair. But I think he's seen a performance in Grobler. This is the next level. This is where Dan Sheen has to get to. I thought it was a very much an all-action display from Grobler. In terms of his ball carrying, the line-out was absolutely awesome. His throwing was just literally on point. And 16 tackles, as I said. Look, it was an all-round performance. And I think for Dan Sheehan, that's inspiration. You know, going into that New Zealand Summer Series, he'll elevate his game. And maybe this is maybe a tonic for Leinster, maybe for Irish rugby as well, given the the, the dependency probably on that front row for Leinster uh, in the national side going into a World Cup 2023. Yeah, yeah. But again, I mean... If we if we look at this in a positive spin with the two Irish sides losing, I mean I honestly don't think that, that New Zealand up front can offer anything like those two sides even that that, that we met at the weekend. I, yeah. So as in I think it's going to be easier without being disrespectful to New Zealand's front five, <laughs> but I, I honestly do. So like you have to look, think of that positively. 
I mean, what we met at the weekend was just incredible. Absolutely. Such power. It's it's tremendous that these players are going to get that experience. But at the same time, yes, uh, certainly the, the Leinster front row, which is the, the Irish front row, they are in trouble as well, you know. And there's no point in, in denying that. And even in the Six Nations in some of the games. So that will have to be rectified big time. I'm going to play that clip back to you in July <laughs> when we have that New Zealand-Ireland summer series. <laughs> you know, because... I think, like Sabine Turner, you know, the head coaching staff, you know, they will look to really front up with Ireland, particularly on that front five after what they've seen here, La Rochelle, and certainly the Bulls here as well, given the Leinster makeup of that national side. But I suppose going back here, uh, Liam, in terms of the conundrum, I think it's good for the URC uh, in terms of the Bulls, the South African teams have now elevated the performance levels. And I think this is a great kind of tester for the Irish players, particularly going into 2023, a World Cup, where you're meeting this aggressive line speed, physicality in the pack exchanges, where we usually just get found out literally in the World Cup. We now have 15 months to really rectify that. So I think from a Leinster perspective, it's disappointing. It would be nice to see a home final, Irish final. But I think this is why the South African teams are in the URC. They provide that grit. They provide that physicality. They provide that sheer determination and will to win that I think the Irish teams, Scottish teams, Welsh teams, we're all going to have to get up to that level now, particularly when it gets to the playoffs. And plus you add the South African teams into the European Champions Cup mix and Challenge Cup mix, everything gets elevated in terms of quality. So I think from the competition organised perspective, it can only be good news here. Now, it's disappointing for Leinster. You know, they're reigning champions. They're, it's ended. But I think for Leinster, they can go away, reflect off-season. Now, there's going to be a few issues to kind of... There's mental baggage, I would think, after the La Rochelle and Bulls results. But again, this squad is not a bad squad overnight. They've been very close. Like, I mean, La Rochelle beats them by two points at the death in a Champions Cup final. And they lose by a point to the Bulls in some semi-final playoff action. So, I mean, it's not as if they've been absolutely tumped here. But it's just the margin of these victories or these losses here for Leinster is going to really great with them, particularly during the off-season. And it'll be very interesting to see what adjustments Cullen and Lancaster actually do make uh, to the side. Because, as you say, the nucleus of the side is retained. But well done to the Bulls. I mean, I don't think many give the Bulls a chance in RDS. Now, we give them a slight chance here, but I did side with Leinster. And I think you did as well, uh, Liam, but they were fully merited the, the victory. And we'll go to the Cape. And I suppose we'll go to the Stormers-Wolster game on Saturday. I mean, we thought the action in the Leinster Bulls game was extraordinary, but my God for drama, Liam O'Brien, that second half between the Stormers and Ulster, it'll be it'll be some game to actually beat the excitement uh, come the death of that match. Yeah, 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 unbelievable. Yeah, we thought we thought we thought he couldn't top Friday, but it certainly did. Um, two two teams, we fear that we were expecting were going to be very open in their play anyway. Uh, and the, the Stormers kind of re-came at Ulster in the f- first, pretty first 10 minutes. I mean, I mean, and while you might think, okay, you're like 10 down, probably should have been 14 down um, after Libok's two misconversions. But I, 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 funnily, I, I felt that Ulster would come back. If they got even a penalty or two, they'd be back in the game and that the Stormers would, would give them opportunities. And that's the kind of the way it turned out. Yeah, it was really, it was a, such a bright opening from the Stormers, wasn't it? But 
Uh, could say after four minutes, Evan Roos, my God, that's a, an incredible player. We've talked about him endlessly in the last few weeks in the podcast, but my God, what a spin move off the scrum half, straight from a training ground on the line out to really expose the backfield defensive Ulster. And you thought at that stage, you know, Libok missing the two penalties or the two conversions kind of looked like a, a, a long afternoon, but in fairness to uh, Robert Balicone. Tully's influence on the game when he was on was just significantly quality. You know, there was good phases of play here for Ulster. They did regroup very well, I thought. And, you know, uh, Balakon's try after 18 minutes really did give him the stranglehold on the game. And then Balakon for the offload for more to go over on the 28 minutes really kind of set the cat among the pigeons a little bit down in the cape. I don't think the Stormers fans were expecting that response from Ulster Rugby. And, you know, they did go in. 15-10 uh, up at half time and you thought they may have weathered the storm here and to be fair Liam I think this is going to be a result that's going to be great with Ulster Rugby for quite a long time I think I thought they had a glorious opportunity really based on that half time performance really to hammer home the advantage and close out this game in third quarter they had a few opportunities and they were didn't take them and ultimately they were Caught a little bit rotten, but I think it's going to just be devastating. I think, Liam, would you agree for Ulster to really pick themselves up, being so near to getting to a final? And again, given the Bulls' result, it would have been a Kingspan home final for Ulster if they'd gotten through here. Yeah, it would have been. But like, I mean, I mean, at fifteen ten, I honestly thought like a three pointer or a five pointer in the second half would have been it. Ulster would have been um, because it was going to be close, but at the same time, that would nearly have been enough. And they must be kidding themselves when you when you have an extra man and still, you know, you, you can't get over the line as well. It just whatever it is with us, they really are t- kind of a, becoming a team of nearly man at the moment. And even, you know, it, it, they got the ball back briefly and again, gave it, gave it away at the end of the game there. It was a sense of inevitability in those final probably three or four minutes that they were going to get over the line and the probably the thing was <laughs> to let them almost as you said American football they should be let score in some crazy you know angle you know in the corner or something like that like you know mm. but I guess the thing is too that you know the the the, the power that, that they produced in the second half too from the Stormers you know you had you had Roos again as he was all game you had Dean Faree you the front row they were, they were unbelievable, really, to be fair. I would even say the three quarters, I thought, dominated Human McCluskey, particularly in a attacking play in Nell and Valencia. Uh, they ran for 91 metres off 20 carries, you know, uh, which was very um, impressive. I think Williams was man of the match, but I thought Nell did an awful lot of unsung hero work around the rock area. You know, so I think from that respect, when you grant that Libuk, we've raved about Libuk as well in this podcast, and we probably give the commentators a curse on him because he had an absolute nightmare kicking uh, throughout. You know, he did run for the 53 metres, but Stormers did find a way. I, I think just for us, it's just going to be hugely frustrating in terms of how, you know, they did a ton of that five metre scrum that they did have in that third quarter. They had opportunities to really kind of, as you say, put points on the board here, but didn't. I think Robert Balacone's injury as well didn't help matters either. There's a distinct dip in terms of creativity and creating width. Uh, no disrespect to Moxham, but it seemed like Munster's game plan did change then to be very conservative thereafter. 
an awful lot of ball away. I think from that perspective, it was a very frustrating kind of end to the game. I think back to Toulouse in the last 16 Champions Cup. It's just that composure to really kind of close it out. You know, a few street smarts. You saw with the Bulls, there were street smarts there, delayed, a few injuries, you know, a bit of kidology going on. But it was none of that from Ulster. It kind of played the fixture, I don't want to say naively, but it was kind of literally when the Stormers start to create tempo, you know, trying to slow it down, that sort of thing. There was none of that. But, I mean... We go to the red card after 17 minutes here, Andre Smith. No, no issues there on the red card there, Lee, surely? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, should have been nowhere with his hands <laughs> anywhere near the, the head of, of Henderson. And it was it was a silly because, like, you know, in terms of what it could have done for the Stormers and cost them the game. Uh, no, no complaints whatsoever with that. You'd be, you'd be surprised if you turned on the television after minute 70 to find out that there was actually a team playing with 14 players because... That Stormers backfield were creating a few line breaks, particularly deep on their own half, and really creating some platform for Ulster Rugby. I suppose the stats here, Henderson, 13 tackles, Tom O'Toole, 14, Nick Timney, another strong performance, 15 tackles. McCluskey may not have been effective in terms of attacking-wise, but my God, he got through tackles, 16 tackles. That really kind of goes to show here, um, Liam, Stormers were creating that momentum particularly in that final quarter. And I suppose the sequence of scrums right on Ulster's line again, you know, as you said, there was an air of inevitability about it, wasn't it? Yeah, there was, there was. I mean, I mean, but at the end, like, you know, Libok does what Libok does, doesn't he? <laughs> at the very end of the game, that incredible pass to Halant to get yeah. over and uh, and and then to, to nail the kick. Although, to be fair, it did look wide, actually. It looked slightly wide, <laughs> but anyway. But, like, you know, yeah, yeah, you have to give him credit for that. I don't know. It, it kind of, it, it looked to swing a little bit, but, I mean, you have to trust Mike Adamson. His touch judges are directly under it, so really and truly, you know, they made the call fairly quickly. And, I mean, the TMO would have literally intervened here as well. So I think Ulster don't have any excuses here in terms of that. I think it's just disappointing how that game ended up. Um, just heartbreak again for us to rugby. And it's just going to be kind of... Enough. Again, there's going to be only one winner this URC. There's going to be quite a few teams here really kind of ruining playoff, lack of performances or what might have been. Ulster are going to be in that camp of what might have been. And I think for Ulster, Dan McFarland's project is progressing. But again, I think there's going to be a little bit of regroup and, you know, picking up players for the off-season because they will never have a more glorious opportunity to get to a grand final of a competition period than what they had in the last 10 minutes. As you say, Liam, Andre Smith gets sent off playing against 14 players. It's then where your scrum half, your 10 has to control things. Your pack has to literally set the platform, run your phases, run the clock down. But that never happened. And I think to be fair to the Stormers, you know, kept persisting that will to win was always there they weren't great on the day i think they'd freely admit that as well uh given the bright start but they found a way to win and again the reward is a urc grand final against the bulls in uh, cape town uh this hour like so i suppose Liam, we could probably go to the preview there who do you fancy i think i'm getting an inkling here that bulls maybe is your fancy but who do you think and what's the winning margin yeah yeah I, well you know it's cup rugby okay on saturday and 
I think that the Bulls, in particular, of, of the, the four South African sides, had that perfect, almost blend of of power and pace and 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 uh, noose and I suppose um, you know that doggedness as well that's required. And I I I've got I kind of fancy them all season that that they'll at least do well in the playoffs. And now they're in the final, even though it's in Cape Town, I would have to kind of go with the Bulls, actually. You know, I just think they have the template almost. And then they have a very clever coach in JQY2 who can mastermind any plan. And the plan would probably be to keep Pen and Roos quiet, <laughs> which would probably go a long ways to uh, to actually negate his influence and win the game. So, I yeah, I, I probably would say... The Bulls by about seven points. I'm kind of leaning towards your thinking there, Liam. I think Marcel Kutsia has a job to do on Evan Roos, and I think this final could be fine margins. I think it's really looking at your pack platform. You know, you know, there's so many intriguing battles, particularly in the pack. Now, the Storms and Bulls know each other inside out here. You know, it will be a local derby game, and I think to a certain extent, local derby's form goes out the window, but... I have been very impressed by the Bulls. The only concern I would have on the Bulls is now the logistics of, I think they were in Dublin up until Sunday because they really didn't know whether they were going to be basing themselves in Belfast or back to the Cape. So I think from that perspective, maybe travel becomes a bit of an issue here. Stormers are in, you know, in their hometown preparing here. So I think there's not going to be much in this. Again, Stormers back three probably has the edge. But again, I was very, very impressed by the Bulls. That Leinster rugby performance, can they get to those highs again? I don't think there's going to be much in this, uh, to be fair. Maybe go with Bulls, three points. You have Morney staying to come off the bench and maybe hit a drop of goal right at the end. What a fitting kind of... Uh, it could be something like that, to be fair. That could be the very end of his career, actually, when you think about exactly. it. Yeah. I'm well. thinking in terms of the South Sea Sharks, how they basically... Instru- they're battle-hardened, uh, the Bulls here. And to be fair to the Sharks, they're a very attractive team to watch, easy on the eye. But as you say, they do give opportunities away. And I don't think, you know, as you say, there's a template there from the Bulls and Jake White to really execute a game plan here. And if they do that, I think the Bulls are probably an inaugural URC champions by three points. Uh, Liam, we might go on to the summer series to New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand and Ireland have announced their test match squads, essentially. 36 players named from the All Blacks squad. I suppose the key marquee headlines, TJ Paranara, is omitted. There are six uncapped players, including the Rugby League star to Ivasa Shek, who's had an immaculate career in Australian Rugby League, comes back. Uh, I think that will be a pretty significant inclusion. 22 players from the Auckland Blues and Canterbury Crusaders who are going to be playing in the Super Rugby Pacific Final. We talk about the front row and front five, maybe, but that, to me, looks a very imposing squad that Andy Farrell and Aaron are going to have to face in July. Yeah, I mean, and look, you're going down to the, the ultimate venue, you know, for touring in. Yeah, the All Blacks have named so basically most of their, their foreign players, you know, from the likes of the Crusaders and the, and the Blues this season. There, there is kind of, I suppose, question marks in terms of um, at scrum half, I guess. Where there's no Brad Weber, there's no there's no TJ Pernara. Aaron Smith is currently potentially injured, so it's kind of um, questionable as to why you would bring one of those guys. 
people are still questioning Sam Kane. Quite frankly, is he is he good enough to be in in the starting team? Um, so therefore, why you know as captain? There's a few guys um injured, like Joe Moody is probably a a bit of a loss. That's a big one, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, in terms of, I suppose, the back line, you know, um, Will Jordan is down there. Looks like he's going to be down as a as a as a, as a winger, but he he could be some threat as as a full back. It looks like he's going to stick with the the Barrett boys basically, and I'm not too sure if that's the way to go. Yeah, I think it's an intriguing selection. It's sufficient quality, and he felt that there was sufficient quality in scrum half positions to really run the rule over a few guys. I think Joe Moody is a serious loss. Ethan Blackadder, Anton Linnett Brown as well from a centre perspective here, Liam as well. Three quarters wise, direct running style of him. I think he's going to be a big loss as well for New Zealand. You also have Damien McKenzie and also Patrick Tupu Lutu, who are in Japan at the moment, who will come back for the championship, the rugby championship in August. So they will be missing as well. I suppose for New Zealand, there may be potentially cohesion issues going into that first test against Ireland in Auckland. But to be fair, you know, when you consider the quality rugby that the Auckland Blues and also the Canterbury Crusaders have been playing, in the Super Rugby, again, from an attacking perspective, if they're given any good quick rock ball here, Ireland are going to be defensively um, in a bit of trouble here, I would think. Yeah, they could be. That, 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 that's always the way. But, I mean, I suppose we have to think of, we've had a season where we were playing against the top South African sides. They've had a season playing against the top Australian sides. And you have to kind of wonder who's going to have better preparation, really, when it comes down to it in that sense, you know? The Australian sides seem to have almost caught up with the with the New Zealand sides, you know. We've had the Brumbies and uh, the Waratahs have gotten quite a, quite, you know, they've got three or four wins each against against New Zealand opposition, and in other games it's been it's been quite tight as the season has went on. So are the, the New Zealand sides kind of just kind of leveling out, or are the Australian sides coming up? But yeah, um, and then of course the thing about New Zealand is they're still under pressure from losing those last two games on the autumn tour. That exactly. they're under pressure yeah. from their own public as well, you know. Um, I think there's been a bit of a spot, yeah. yeah, so I mean, I mean, uh, and then you know we don't know about Roger Tulisaschek. Will he be a kind of a Sam Burgess type? You know, <laughs> like you you can start off your career well at representative level, but then it's going to be another step up for him. Uh, to play at centre, but you know, probably without Antonina Brown, he he'd probably even get the start there as well. I'm looking forward to seeing Caleb Clark, Caleb Clark, sorry, Caleb Clark, um, who was away with the with the New Zealand Sevens, and then he got injured. Um, he is like a, a Lomu type character. He's he's a proper finisher, and so if you have hit like say him and Will Jordan in the back three. And then you've Rico Ioni at 13. And then the a guy I like to see actually maybe starting would be like Finley Christie at nine. Yeah. Um, so you, you have a, yeah, you've, you've awesome talent in the back line. Yeah, again, up front, it's kind of a, a props to see how they go. You have Aidan Ross there, um, has done very well this season. So he might get a, a as a debutant, he might be put in straight away. I think so. I think Aidan Ross definitely out of the, and maybe probably to Vassal Shek. I mean, he's an absolute standout baller anyway, Liam. I mean, he had a 10-year career in the NRL in Australia. 
voted best player in 2018. So, I mean, his rugby skill set's beyond reproach, but I suppose, as you say, a bit of a transition from rugby league to rugby union. And, I mean, if you have Henshaw, Ring, Ring Rose, Bundia Key, they'll certainly be testing these defensive reads fairly early. Uh, I think Aiden Ross probably is the forward that may be called into action pretty quickly in that first test. But, I mean... We're just going to have to see, and you say the New Zealand nation are really going to be looking at this senior squad and really see can they bounce back from a very disappointing November international series. So, and I suppose with Dwell, there's a little bit of pressure on if Ireland could maybe potentially win a first test here. The pressure does get absolutely cranked for the Dunedin test in July 9th. But I mean, it's still a very daunting test series for Ireland. We can probably go to the Ireland test match squad, 40-man squad named today. You know, you have two matches between the Maori All Blacks as well, interspersed between uh, these three matches in Auckland, Dunedin and Wellington against New Zealand. What were your initial reactions of that Andy Farrell 40-man squad? Any kind of notable absentees or any kind of welcome inclusions that you see in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, I mean in, in a sort of a backstory way, I, I, I was looking at would uh, Ben Healy make the squad? Just I was I was looking at it in terms of New Zealand. Would Ollie Yeager, the Irish guy, uh, make the New Zealand squad? Because obviously there's the implications there. You have two guys who are wanted by other countries, essentially, you know. Um. So for Ben Healy to be effectively at this stage rated fifth or sixth out half for Ireland, I think that's that that's he could be very much potentially done with Ireland uh, right now. And you're you're going to have a a phone call shortly <laughs> if it hasn't happened already from. Mr. Gregor Townsend there. And like also from a Munster perspective, no Jack O'Donoghue, you know, uh, incredible, you know, considering he was definitely in the top three or four back rows that that Ireland have had this season, you know. I mean, I'd had him up there with um, obviously Nick Timoney and uh, Van der Fleer and Prendergast and then Doris. So probably those 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 were standout back rows for Ireland um, this year. Also, I'd have to say Billy Burns has singularly impressed me uh, over the, the second half of the season. And again, Harry Byrne gets in on, on the back of virtually no game time. Jeremy Lockman, even though he's a Munster, Munster player, we have to say he's probably not uh, up to the gallop at, at, at full international level. And you have Witcherly and, uh, and other players who you'll probably be looking at. Balakum, very disappointed not to see Balakum, um, obviously because of the injury, but he would have done very well actually in New Zealand as well. So that would have been something to look forward to. I suppose also, yeah, Nathan Doak at Scrum Half would certainly been worth a look. Um, I would have brought him as well. I think we've missed a trick on Nathan Doak. Brutally honest with you, Liam. I think Nathan will be required when it comes to the Rugby World Cup 2023. I think his versatility at 9 and 10 would be invaluable for the squad. I don't see why he couldn't have been included. You know, this cold game minutes criteria, you see certain guys getting in on a plane to New Zealand. Now, granted, Nathan Doak has had limited minutes, particularly in the postseason for Ulster Rugby. But still, again, this is a guy that has been leading the line superbly well for Ulster for a huge portion of the season. I think if you're kind of bringing the likes of Keen Brendergast, I think you have to be kind of considering Nathan Doak as well to a certain extent. Um, I suppose losers here, uh, Liam, uh, from an Ireland perspective, 
one that comes to mind immediately is probably Ross Maloney. Like if you thought, you know, if you were believing the media reports, the Dublin publications, Ross Maloney was going to be potentially kind of on that plane to New Zealand. But I suppose it's again a combination of disappointments for the the Leinster second row. You know, he's uh, overtaken by the prospect Joe McCarthy. So I think from that perspective, I think uh, for uh, Ross Maloney, that'll be probably a very bitter pill to swallow. And I suppose as well, Jack O'Donoghue, I think Ulster are the back three options as well. I know Robert Balicone has, a, you know, unavailable. And I think that's a huge, huge loss. I'm sad not to see him on a plane to New Zealand because his speed, his dynamism with ball in hand is unreal. But I suppose like some McElroy and, and Moore have to be kind of looking at it and saying... I did provide good cameos here, particularly in the postseason. So, you know, these are probably guys underneath the radar here of Andy Farrell. But I think all in all, Nucleus of the Side has been retained from the November International Series and also the Six Nations. So I'm delighted to see maybe Keane Prendergast there. But I suppose it was between three, Keane Prendergast, Nick Timoney and Jack O'Donoghue. And I reckon, you know, you know, unfortunately for Jack O'Donoghue, he's probably beyond the standby list if any issues do come with the back row unit. But I think Prendergast had been with the squad, had trained with them, particularly in the Six Nations campaign. So I think there's no surprise that he's down to uh, to New Zealand for the summer tour. And Nick Timoney, I think the stats that we've been showing week in, week out with Timoney has just meant that he's slightly ahead of Jack. And I think there's no slight in Jack. I think Jack's had a superb season. I think he's been the most consistent all-rounder forward for Munsters this season. So I think for Jack, he'll regroup and he'll probably go stronger again next year. I still don't think, you know, I think he still has a bit of a, a role to play for Andy Farrell's Ireland, particularly if injuries do kind of emerge in that back row. But uh, it's it's an interesting squad. And I think one which should be pretty daunting just in terms of these Maori all-black fixtures as well. Just don't give me games here, Adeem. Particularly uh, when you consider the Maoris to kick off on June 29th. Uh, June, July 2nd in Auckland, the first match, test match. July 9th, then Dunedin, and then July 12th, Maoris in Wellington, and July 16th in Wellington for the third and ultimate test against New Zealand, all 8.05 a.m. Irish time kickoffs. So I think it'll be interesting just to see front wise, front five wise here, Liam, as well. Will we see a bit of a response here uh, from the Ireland team? just in terms of the South African physicality that we've seen and La Rochelle physicality, particularly those Leinster players to really respond in the right manner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 lay down a marker. I think they I think they will do that. I I certainly can think that. Um in terms of like there, there are guys who are going to be bolters, you know, and we talk about Mr. Major McCarthy. He he's a guy who could start a test, you know, alongside someone like Henderson, you know. And as a as a as a pairing would have a lovely kind of physicality about that in presence. Also, I think that it's crucial that Ty Byrne is fully fit and, and starts. I think he's an absolute match winner, you know, and I think he can make hay even, even against the All Blacks big time. So now we have Dan Sheehan and Herring. That's that's very interesting whether they, I suppose, start with Herring and bring Sheehan on or go opposite, you know, start with Sheehan and bring Herring on because Herring contributes to a really good lineup more it seems you know he's uh, yeah um for Ulster um yeah and then of course in terms of the front row 
we have to see if if that that's going to going to change things. You know, if if they're going to be able to um, recover from a bad end of season, it has to be said. In terms of you know in the back line, then you know I would love to see Hume get a start in one of the tests. He surely will have to do that. And I suppose after the first test, really, first test will be like full full on squad. After that, you might you you might see starts for Hume. You might see a start for maybe Casey. Maybe maybe um maybe uh, maybe that's not quite right. But I think Casey is worth a start. And to see the likes of Jimmy O'Brien and Mike Lowry as well. I think it'll be interesting. I think that Maori All Black game, particularly on that June 29th will be an interesting game because I think a few of those guys you mentioned will be getting game time significantly on that. And it's their time to shine and embrace it. And I would even include like Lockman here as well. You know, it might be in a bolter to many, but I think he's a solid footballer. Uh, I think he needs to grasp his opportunity now because he's not going to get many opportunities to really impress here. I'm happy to see Dave Heffernan in the hooker kind of squad depth again. I know he kind of comes in courtesy of Ronan Kelleher being out because of his latest shoulder injury. But again, Heffernan and his guy here, I think this tour will make Dave Heffernan and maybe Connacht will be the chief recipient of that benefit come the next season, really. He may get game time against the Mario All Blacks. I think these Mario All Black games here, Liam, to be fair, will be good platforms for, as you said, these prospective players that you've named to really kind of, I'm thinking the likes of Gavin Coombs here as well, to a certain extent, uh, Keen Prendergast, Nick Timoney, guys of that ilk, to really kind of step up, produce performances, and really ask the question of the management, particularly in a second and third test in New Zealand, that they deserve a starting or even a 23-man squad berth. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean, and, and Gavin Coombs is exactly the, the, the type of player that you need in the trenches, yeah, I mean the Maori game is ingenious, really, to to have that in in the tour. It's it's now like a proper, almost like old school tour that Ireland have going down there. But like it has to be at the same time. We have to find out things now because this this work we're, we're coming like to, after this like to the autumn and then the Six Nations and World Cup rolls around. We've got to find out questions like who is the number two to Sexton, and then we have to actually maybe play that person, you know. And we also have to to just get um maybe uh, more power in the in the second row. That's that's something for me. And um, to see that is Hume able to play without Stuart McCluskey. So those are sort of things that we need to look at. I think we have to be brutally honest here as a manager. The Ireland management have to really run the rule over all these players, particularly the prospects to see. I think they know who their nucleus is. Probably the twenty man squad we haven't mentioned Hugo Keenan yet and I mean Hugo Keenan was available for Leinster against the Bulls but wasn't <laughs> didn't even line out again guys like that have nothing really to prove but I think there's a few guys here in this touring party that could make or break uh their World Cup 2023 um prospects so as I said the Maori All Black Games I think definitely will provide some initial questions that these players will need to answer and you'd hope coming out of this tour that we've identified another four or five players that we know can step up to test match rugby, uh, particularly when we get to November, November International Series, Six Nations. Again, when you're getting to Six Nations, I think literally at that stage, experimentation is over. I think teams are literally betting down. They've stabilised their 40-man squads. And anyone that's not really kind of in that reckoning, particularly in the Six Nations, I think can maybe probably forget 
about going to a Rugby 2023 World Cup. The guy that I'm fascinated seeing is probably Kieran Frawley and seeing if he does get game time because he has massive versatility. And just given the fact that I think the successor to Johnny Sexton is a little bit uncertain still. I mean, you still have Carberry probably looks a second choice. Harry Byrne comes in. But you have Frawley there in the background who's been named as a three-quarter but potentially could play a 10 as well or 15. Very versatile. I'm just wondering in terms of Frawley, if management played their cards right with Frawley, he could be one of the success stories of this tour just with his versatility. I'm just thinking Frawley probably there. Nathan Doak could have been another success story of this tour. But again, I'd be fascinated to see the game in a step or Kieran Frawley actually gets. Uh, in this tour because he's a guy that really Ireland have to be kind of basing game plans off I would think personally for 2023 yeah I, 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 it's very funny you mentioned that because I think we've been discussing this before about Frawley and I'm talking about like a year year and a half ago that you know at the time questions were asked about Sexton would he last to the World Cup and that we needed to to be innovative and maybe put someone like Frawley alongside him and uh, and and a, and a, and, a, and an out half, sorry, a scrum half like like Doak or something like that. That we just it would just the dynamics would change, and that still is a possibility. All those three would would bring would bring something else to the table. Um, in terms of Frawley, whenever he's played for Leinster at out half, he's looked very polished, and you you'd imagine that next season he could step up even further with with, with game time. But yeah, I mean. He's named, as you said, into three quarters, but by the end of it, he could actually end up a second choice out half as well. Yeah, it's just, it's. I think it's intriguingly poised, particularly in Leinster rugby. I mean, you have Harry Byrne overtaking his brother Ross, who's been a regular starter for Leinster rugby this season. And granted that you're a C team of the year, Ross Byrne was the number 10, believe or believe in that. So, I mean, I don't know what Ross Byrne must be thinking in terms of that that his brother has basically overtaken him. And as you say yourself, Carberry is probably in line to get game minutes, particularly in one or two of these test matches. But again, we're just going to have to play it by ear here, Liam. I would hope that Irish management are going to pick on form here. Uh, It's been a long season and certain players might be kind of on the downward slide. And maybe other, I'm thinking of Gavin Coombs here as well. Another few weeks after recovery from injury, he may be top of the ground here. So I would hope from Andy Farrell's perspective that he trusts the players' form to really deliver performances because that will be required, particularly in the back row and the pack exchanges. But yeah, all to look forward to uh, end of June uh, with that Maori's game. And then we'll see after that, particularly the first test. Uh, Liam, we might leave it there and maybe conclude with looking at the provinces. Um, I suppose the, the bad side of being a professional rugby player seemed to full effect as we've seen four provinces release uh you know lists of players that will be no longer part of their rugby clubs uh next season i suppose munster there last week uh did provide kind of a statement with a few we had int- we'd hinted here that there may be one or two guys moving on uh that might be released for regular game time and it certainly happened we did know of the likes of chris cloyte damien delende jake flannery but then the likes of the Sean French's, Alex McHendry's were also mentioned here. I suppose, what's your comments in terms of the release list here uh, for Munster and even across the provinces, really? Anyone there that's probably a free agent right now that you're thinking may do have the, may do a serious job for an Irish province next season? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose, look, um, in terms of Munster rugby, um, what stands out for me is, is, I suppose, the release, obviously, of John Ryan and Kevin O'Byrne, you know? Um, this is on the, ba- on, on the back of the fact that James Cronin was let go a year back as well, you know? So there you have, potentially, in my view, the starting front row of Munster. <laughs> and somehow... <laughs> We didn't find the money to keep the uh, uh, particularly the likes of a John Ryan, and and his his leaving statement was was very sad to see that he basically wanted to stay on, but it wasn't offered a contract of note, and uh, that says a lot about, about what, where Munster are at. They can't see the picture of 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 a player that they clearly need, and are not prepared to to give a a, a good contract to. Also, you know, Kevin O'Byrne, who was only um, last season, he was on a, a, a league player of the year in as, as hooker. Um, that's kind of a notable position as well. With Jake Flannery, I suppose, who look never really got any game time, you know, with Munster, and and that was a kind of a lost opportunity there. So they were kind of stand out for me uh, in terms of Munster releases. Yeah, I think that Instagram post from John Ryan was very emotive in terms of his love and of Munster Rugby wishing that he could stay um, further but obviously uh, you know two sides uh, uh, you know went their separate ways I mean he's going to Wasps team that are kind of on the up as well wish John all the best uh, along with everyone else and I suppose the, the realities of professional rugby seen as well with Jonathan Wren and also Rowan Osborne as well having to forced to be retired uh, from professional rugby uh, which is you know it's Sad news when you hear that, uh, particularly with guys in that age profile. So I wish Jonathan and Rowan well. I suppose you look at the Leinster and rugby release uh, list here as well. Connacht, probably a main beneficiary here in terms of Josh Murphy, Peter Dooley, Adam Byrne, David Hawkshaw. You do have the retirements of Devin Toner and Sean Cronin, who were loyal servants to Leinster rugby. And also Exeter Chiefs getting Jack Dunn and Rory O'Loughlin. So, I mean, they're absolute quality players leaving that ball club uh, here in for the upcoming season. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? It's crazy to see, all right, that, that Exeter have souped in for, for two very um, high-promising players from Leinster. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I, there's no doubt about it. Those players are going to strengthen uh, Connacht uh, next season, big time, um, where, where they need strengthening, basically, in the, in the pack and, and give them a, a great depth as well. So that will certainly bring on uh, the Connacht pack next season. Um, clearly, they were they were, I suppose, they weren't powerful enough this season in a lot of games, and and that that told. And then we have, I suppose, at Ulster, <clears throat> we have Jack McGrath, who um, it just shows that how far down he has come. I suppose I just it's just injuries get to you in the end, you know, for some for some players, and you just you you you're you're, you're on the cusp then of when you're just gonna. Be, be out of the game he's kind of the most big big name release for for Ulster as you say it's been kind of uh, for Jack McGrath it's been succession of injuries here struggling for form don't know if he's worth a punt by another provincial team I mean Leinster probably has come and gone but maybe a short-term deal with Jack McGrath if Jack McGrath still has the the burning desire to get back to top form he on his day was a solid prop operator not hinting here, but, you know, Munster Rugby or something of that respect, if 
things, you know, personnel-wise within Munster squad needs it. Maybe he's a guy that could literally do a job, but I suppose that's more all conjecture. I suppose Sean Reedy as well, being released from Ulster as well. He was a solid performer for many a year for Ulster. I suppose injuries have got to him as well, uh, but hasn't seen much game time this season. So I think another guy, if fully fit, will do a job seriously for uh, another team. Bradley Roberts as well, given that he uh, was you know, declared for Wales, was kind of, dare I say, phased out a little bit in terms of Ulster rugby. He goes to the Dragons. And Ross Kane's going to the Ealing, which uh, Kevin O'Byrne as well. So, geez, that, that looks pretty potent in terms of the pack there for Ealing uh, next season. And then kind of finishing off with Connacht, we kind of knew about the likes of Ulton Danan going to La Rochelle, Sammy Arnold, Breve, um, Abraham Papalie, uh to Breve. Again, an awful lot of kind of good players leaving here. Matt Healy retiring, loyal servant to Connacht Rugby. Owen Masterson, I thought, was an interesting one for me, Liam. I know he goes to Arlec in France. Uh, but I thought maybe a guy that had maybe another season or two to offer for Connacht Rugby. Yeah, I mean, he was always like there about in terms of um, the top back rows uh, at Connacht. Yeah, absolutely. So, and Orlac, obviously, you know, he, he's dropping down for that. So that's 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 quite interesting to see. There's still guys, still, you know, TBD in terms of the next clubs. Peter Robb, you know, on his day, fully fit. What an abrasive ball carrier at three quarters. Likes of Greg McGrath, Johnny Murphy, Ben O'Donnell, Dominic Robertson, McCoy, and also Peter Sullivan, which I had very high hopes for as well. Uh, kind of uh, departing Connacht as well, but it is the, the 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 less romantic side of rugby union as a professional player. You hear about guys signing good contracts, but again, there's the other side of it as well. This is, you know, where players have been released, and we hope for the guys that are unattached at the moment. Hopefully, that they will find good rugby clubs and play a little bit of more professional rugby next season. Uh, Liam, we'll leave it there anyway. Again, we'll probably focus on the URC uh, final action uh, next week, and probably a few more reflections in terms of the squads for New Zealand, uh, Ireland. So until then, uh, thanks very much. Thank you very much, Mark. See you again. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Sidekick on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.